Hi, my name is Mike Dillard, and this is Self Made Man, the podcast for those who want to leave their mark on the world and create a legacy of honor, integrity, and achievement in every aspect of your life. I'm glad you're here, and once again, it is time to forge your destiny. Today's a story about David versus Goliath, but in our tale, David is a guy named Aaron Hind. And a few years ago, he decided to take on the Goliaths of the energy drink industry, Red Bull and Monster. Back in 2009, Aaron and his business partner, Orion, hated the fact that they could not find a healthy energy drink, so they decided to create their own. Now, neither of them had been in the beverage industry before. They had no idea how to create one. They had almost no money, zero investors, and no distribution. But hell, that did not stop them. A few phone calls and Google searches later, they had their first can of LifeAid in their hands. But creating the product was the easy part. Getting it onto store shelves without a budget was the real challenge. So they started thinking outside the box and they skipped the grocery chains completely. Instead, they went after one specific fitness niche and slowly but surely started to build a following. Today, LifeAid will do over $30 million in net profits. That's got to be over $100 million in gross revenue. And it can be found in store shelves everywhere, from Albertsons to Whole Foods to GNC. It is a truly inspiring story that contains an incredibly valuable marketing lesson for every single startup out there. And speaking of David versus Goliath, the new selfmademan.com platform is now live. You guys have probably seen it already. And in many ways, we're pursuing the same strategy Aaron and Orion did to take on our much larger, more established competitors in the e-learning space. And that is by offering a superior quality product to a very specific group of people, namely you and the other amazing entrepreneurs out there who want to change the world. If you haven't had a chance to see it yet, head to selfmademan.com and check out the insane amount of value you'll get when you upgrade to a premium membership for just $19. For those of you who already have upgraded, thank you so much. You're what makes this possible. And with that being said, please help me welcome Aaron Hind. Well, Aaron Hind, welcome to Self-Made Man. I'm looking forward to uh, to our discussion today based on what you guys have accomplished. It's been absolutely amazing. Mike, thanks for having me on. Looking forward to it. Absolutely, brother. So if those who are listening have been to uh, at least a Whole Foods recently and you've gone down the beverage aisle as I do almost on a daily basis looking for my caffeine fix... Mm-hmm. You've seen, uh, you've probably seen a row of uh, energy drinks, well, we'll say functional beverages called LifeAid. And uh, Aaron, you're the founder of that company and y'all have just been growing like crazy, 50% a year for the last, gosh, seven or eight years now. You were you founded the company in 2011. So that's awesome, man. I'm, yeah, I'm it's a, been a great ride, great ride. Absolutely. So I've always had an interest in, in the functional beverage energy slash energy market because I ha- am always looking for a product that was really the same reasons you guys created LifeAid, meaning I'm looking for my caffeine fix in the healthiest way possible. As little sugar possible that tastes good, that's not going to mess me up health-wise, but that will provide me with an alternative to coffee because I've never been a really big coffee fan. So I know that's part of some of the inspiration why y'all started the beverage, but take everybody back to 2011 and dive into your story and the story of LifeAid and why you started the company. Yeah, sure. I think, uh, you know, Mark Twain's uh, quote uh, sums it up quite well that all you need in life is ignorance and confidence and uh, success was sure. And that's what we were full of back in 2011, a lot of ignorance and a lot of confidence, you know, thinking that, you know, to 
young entrepreneurs with zero beverage experience could kind of take on the big boys and and actually make a difference. And and so if we knew what we knew now, I, I, it may be a different scenario back then. But you know, I was a sports chiropractor here in Santa Cruz, California, and this is kind of the hippie capital of the world. For those that aren't familiar with it, we've got a lot of you know, cool brands that have come out of here, a lot of functional brands, a lot of food and beverage uh, brands like Odwalla, Santa Cruz Organics, so, so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, really, I think the inspiration was I was coming down the, the beverage aisle at a local grocery store and my young son at the time, who was just a couple of years old, reached into an open air cooler and grabbed an energy drink. And here I've spent, you know, 10 years of my life trying to get athletes off the energy drinks, telling them, look, this stuff's going to cause adrenal fatigue. It's high sugar. It's high caffeine. It's not a good way to overstimulate your body. And, and here are my kids reaching for one. And I'm going, geez, why is my kid reaching for that? When you've got kombucha here, we've got chia, we've got all these, you know, more healthful alternatives. And the bottom line is, you know, the energy drinks are cool. They're cool, sexy and hip. They appeal to the younger generation and the healthful drinks at the time you know, were very hippy-dippy in nature. They weren't cool at all. So uh, my business partner who was a certified financial planner here in town. We had this grand idea of like, look, we want to create a clean, healthy beverage company that was cool, sexy and hip like the energy drinks. But unlike the energy drinks, you know, they were actually good for you. So you could kind of give a wink, wink to the moms out there that, uh, you know, hey, your kid may be reaching for this, but it's actually clean. It's low sugar. It doesn't have any of the artificial garbage. And we have some real good functional ingredients in there that can help aid in their particular uh, avocation or lifestyle. You know, I love stories where an entrepreneur has an idea and a moment of inspiration for a product and a business that's in an industry they've have zero experience in. <laughs> and I relate to that because that's what happened with me with Evergrow and my hydroponic, you know, venture, uh, essentially to, to build that product. And that's where you were when it came to creating your own beverage line. So what did you do to actually get the ball rolling? How does somebody go from an idea into actual execution of that? Yeah. I mean, I had a little bit of past experience in the CPG space. Um, I had Consum a consumer product goods. Yes, exactly. Okay. I had a, a private label eye drop brand called Irie Eyes, which I marketed to stoners uh, being here in Santa Cruz. So we were sold in like 2,000 head shops. And so I had some experience there and, and had some lessons and kind of accurate thinking around, you know, that business. So when there was an opportunity to, to, to start this, it was literally on my business partner's birthday. We sat down in front of the computer. We had this idea of life aid and this vision of these, you know, very niche products. And we sat at the computer and registered 80 domain names for, uh, in, in one night. We got golfraid.com for $12. Heck, we even got bonerade.com for $12, if you believe it or not. That was still available. So we, we we went through, registered all the domains, and then just started doing some research. How do you create a beverage company? And and started thinking about formulations, and and found a flavor house in Southern California, and kind of the rest is history. You know, I'd love to I'd love to go through that process. You know, in in a little little bit of detail. You you pick up the phone, you call you call these companies, and, and is that what you would Google as flavor house, or is there a, a different name for that? Yeah, no, there's uh, Flavor House. So, uh, I mean, there's a lot of different companies you have to, you know, kind of work with from can manufacturers, contract co-packers that actually do the filling, uh, supplement manufacturers, 
so on and so forth. But uh, for, for us, kind of the beginning is we took what uh, what we thought our formulations would be for these drinks down to a flavor house where they order very small quantities of the supplements and those in the preferred sweetener, and then basically try to make it taste good. And you know, interesting story. Right, that first meeting at the flavor house, we walked in. We we're working with a brilliant food scientist, uh, PhD food scientist. And she looks at my formulation, and the first thing she says to us is like, look, guys, this formula looks great, but there's zero chance we're going to be able to make something taste good with this level of supplements in, in a can and keeping your sugar low and without using any artificial sweeteners. And I remember, you know, we looked at her and said, well, we appreciate it, but I guess we're not at the right place. And we started to walk out the door. She says, whoa, whoa, whoa you know, let's, let's give it a shot. And we kept working at it and working at it. And, uh, you know, I'm happy to say that the products have turned out really well. How many iterations did you have to go through to get it to, you know, that perfect balance between taste and, and ingredient? I'd say now we can nail it in, in two or three, but at the very beginning, even our first production run of our number one selling skew, which is Fit Aid, a, you know, a big recovery drink, I was embarrassed to even sample it to people. It tasted so bad. So I'm, I'm glad to say we've gotten a lot better at that process. So what next? You, you found your, your formulation company. Is it just a matter of, okay, this tastes good. Let's order a batch. You know, what does that process look like? Yeah, so, uh, you know, next we have to find a can manufacturer. And, you know, my business partner and I started this uh, company with $30,000 each. So, you know, when we started calling the big boy can manufacturers, the minimums on there is like 200,000 cans, right? Just for, to get cans printed on. Well, we heard there was something called silver bullets, which are these blank cans, which really they don't have many of because these cans are made to order. So they, they, they produce the can and print them all as part of one run. But for some reason, somebody might have some overage they didn't print on, and they, you can actually uh, occasionally find blank cans. So we call the, the West Coast rep for Wrexham, which is one of the big can manufacturers, and we actually get them on the phone. And, and to just give a little bit of background, you know, this, the beverage industry has a 99% failure rate. So most of the people coming into this you know, have hoop dreams or they're complete broke dicks. You know, it's a one-and-done business at best. So that's probably his perspective as we're talking to him about this grandiose plan that we have. And we ask him, like, hey, we can't afford the 200,000 cans, but do you have a pallet of these silver bullets laying around? It's like, look, guys, you don't know I don't have any of those laying around. And, you know, it's not common that that there's any overages. And when you're ready to actually step up and do a real run, let let us know. And the the minimum was what, 200,000? 200,000, yeah. What's the approximate price on that? It would have pretty much cleaned out our bank account at the time. And that's, you know, when you add in the flavor house, and that's not even buying any of the the ingredients that actually go in there or paying the co-packing fees. So we're literally sitting there. We had this, all this excitement of the domain names registered, the flavor house picked out. And then we're like, oh, crap, we're we're done, right? We can't afford the 200,000 cans. And it's like, you know what? Let's send, his name was Mike as well. Let's send Mike a nice thank you card. And in it, we put a $100 Roos Chris gift certificate. So Mike, thanks for talking to us. Let us know if any silver bullets come up. Roos Chris. Well, guess what shows up a week later? We get an email. Hey guys, I I found a pallet of silver bullets. So we bought that uh, one pallet of blank cans. We had them shrink sleeved, which is extremely expensive. It costs about 30 cents a can just to put a shrink sleeve. So instead of printing them on it, you put a plastic sheet basically with your label over the top. And we talked to Copacker into doing a very short run for us. So our first 
run a product, which was Golf Raid, of all things, cost us $3 a can, our cost, cost of goods. <laughs> and we're, we went out and started selling golf courses uh, product for 2 bucks a can. But we knew that the economics would work if we could get to some scale. We were just trying to get some proof of concept. Wow. So that really is, at least it's my assumption, that the, the trick to entering that 1% of successful beverage companies is distribution. Right. Like anybody can come formulate, you know, a can and create a brand. But how do you get these products out there into the marketplace, especially because you're going up against some massive, massive, really well-established companies who are in this same niche? Yeah, I mean, you, you know, most people when they uh, in the beverage space or even in any really food product, the the kind of the big goal is, OK, we want to get into Whole Foods. We want to get into 7-Eleven and, and they're out pursuing those type of companies, what they don't realize is when someone goes into a convenience store, you know, they've got, most people are in a convenience store for like 90 seconds. They know exactly what type of drink they're going for. It's not a place for trial. So we started trying to get some grocery traction and failed miserably. And, you know, we were running out of money very quickly. And we looked at this and go, we can't compete against the big boys on their turf. There's no way. We don't have the marketing dollars. We don't have the brand recognition. So what we did is, is uh, at the time, we actually had three SKUs out, Golf Raid, Fit Aid, and, and Party Aid. And it was almost like three different companies because we had three different websites, different social accounts. There were definitely different communities, different formulations, etc. We kind of looked at the business and said, okay, which one of these is kind of has the most potential? And we started selling direct to golf courses where we were getting some traction. We actually you know, did about a half million bucks in our first year just selling to golf courses. But if we look, we looked at FitAid and FitAid specifically as a recovery drink in the CrossFit channel, which is where we grew up in. Him, my business partner and I met in a CrossFit gym and we saw the trajectory. The sell-in was easier. The sell-through was better. Our, our volume numbers were better. So we decided to put our chips all in to making FitAid a success specifically in the CrossFit channel. And you know, seven years ago, if you went into a CrossFit gym, they didn't have any drinks. All they had was maybe a fridge with some waters they bought from Costco on the honor system. People put a dollar in and took a water. And so we started uh, developing direct response marketing campaigns, taking basically what all the info marketers were doing and applying it to, to beverages and selling online. I mean, for the first five years, we didn't have one sales rep. You know, we were doing, you know, $13 million with zero sales reps. Wow. So were you all buying those little fridges and like sending them to CrossFit gyms with your, your beverages or what did that look like? Yeah, exactly. You know, our, our initial offer, which is a lot sweeter now because we can afford to be sweeter knowing lifetime value, but was uh, basically purchase 10 cases of product. We're going to give you this free you know, $400 fridge and we're going to give you a banner and POS and all that kind of stuff. And from HQ, we just started sending those offers out. So we'd send them out a snail mail, four pack of samples, a nice written sales letter, some testimonials and uh, a time sensitive call to action, super old school. And we started converting. I'll never forget that first month. It's like, holy shit, we just got 30 new gyms this month. We used to ring the bell in the office every wow. time a new account came on. Then the next month, we got like 60. Then the month after, 100. And for a while, we were churning at like 250 new gyms a month. It was like, it was awesome. How are you, uh, how are you getting a hold of the contact information for all of these gyms? 
<laughs> one at a time. I mean, oh, really? Like, wow. Yeah, you had to basically go online and, you know, we paid, uh, you know, somebody in Bangladesh, you know, to, to basically list build for us and go, uh, you know, scour the internet and find out where the gyms were and what the mailing address was and who the contact was one at a time because, you know, it's a, a licensing model. So it's not like we sold CrossFit HQ and therefore we're in all the gyms. We, we literally have gotten into 5,000 CrossFit gyms selling them one at a time. Wow. So you guys definitely just kind of guerrilla marketed this thing and, and bootstrapped it. You started building up some momentum. Was there uh, a moment in your business's development that really allowed you to start, you know, going vertical from a, a growth perspective and, and allow you to get into, you know, places like Whole Foods? Yeah, I mean, it all came to, to, to instead of pushing our way into accounts, we started getting pulled. So the nice thing about CrossFit specifically is it's really affected all of fitness. So if you go into like the new Gold's gyms, they have what's called Gold's Fit, which is basically CrossFit without the barbells. Look at the success of Orange Theory. And so we started getting pulled into other gym chains. I know you've had Bedros on the show, Fit Body Bootcamp. You know, we started getting pulled into all these different gym chains. So the, the Fit Aid line specifically started becoming like the go-to recovery drink in functional fitness that, that uh, led to a, a partnership with Spartan Race. Uh, so we started handing out ice cold cans right when people needed it most, right when they finished a grueling Spartan Race. Well, the buyers at all these major retailers happen to be running Spartan Races or happen to be training at a CrossFit gym or a Gold's gym and seeing our product and then calling us saying, hey, we really want to get this in. And, uh, you know, we, we would just say, look, we don't have the marketing budget for slotting fees and all of this. They're like, that's okay. We're going to bring you in. We know you're a small company. And then, we, you know, we would just prove ourselves out on a, on a usually a very regional level, which led to global authorizations. And, uh, you know, gr great example is Whole Foods, where the buyer at the time in, in the Rocky Mountain region was kind of Utah, Colorado, was an avid CrossFitter. We were sold at his gym. He brought us in one day before the window closed on new products. Uh, we got this call from a Whole Foods buyer. And we, we uh, got them out, uh, everything they needed in one day. They put us in the sets. We sold like gangbusters. He got promoted to, to corporate, brought us in and into and, and a global rollout. And that relationship has been great, which led to us closing Sprouts Nationwide and Vitamin Shop, GNC, and, and so on and so forth. Awesome. So you guys are growing like crazy. You've got some huge competitors out there, Monster, Red Bull, you know, et cetera. How have they taken to your success? Well, we, you know, early on, we took a couple of bumps and bruises from the big boys. The first was with our, our golf raid line. I had this great idea like, well, hey, we're in the Monterey Bay. We're real close to Monterey and, and uh, Carmel, which Pebble Beach is at. So we went down to, to Pebble Beach and got a P.O. box in Pebble Beach. They have their own post office. And, and we started doing all of our golf raid uh, mailings out of there. And so we put Pebble Beach on the can. So our first cease and desist we got from Pebble Beach Corporation saying, hey, we, you can't use Pebble Beach on the can, which we had already printed, you know, these couple hundred thousand cans. So that was always a challenge. And then shortly after that, we get a cease and desist from Pepsi saying uh, one of our lines that we hadn't even come out with yet, but we had approval from the trademark office, which was Gamerade, which was they said was too close to Gatorade and therefore put a cease and desist on that. So it's, it's always a little scary as a, a young uh, bootstrapping company to get official letters from, uh, from some of these big players did out you, there. Did you guys... Did you guys say, oh, okay, it's not worth the fight? Because to me, that's like so unrelated, it's not even funny, right? It's two completely different industries. 
Yeah, and the trademark office sided with us. They gave us the, the yeah, trademark, but you know, we called our attorneys. They're like, "Yeah, we can win this, but it's going to cost you two hundred thousand." Well, see. when you have twenty thousand in the bank account, that's just not a reality. You know? Got it. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, interesting. It's uh, the legal process is not necessarily about who's right; it's who can afford to go through it and finish it, which is interesting. So, have you guys ever raised uh, raised around? Yeah, we last year we raised around from a private equity group, Carp Riley, in the East Coast. They're just great partners, very entrepreneur friendly. You know, long timelines. Uh, they they've got a lot of experience in restaurants and and other uh, consumer packaged goods. Or they're they've got a great reputation in beverage. So we couldn't be happier uh, with that partnership, and that's allowed us the the capital to really scale into some of these bigger accounts like Kroger and Safeway. I was going to ask you what, you know, what the use of funds would be for you guys if you're, you know, seeming to do it quite well on your own, if there's a a particular area you wanted to deploy it in. Yeah, I mean, it's mainly been for human capital. We went um, last year, we brought on like 35 new team members, quite a few on the sales side of things. So, you know, once you do, it, it takes, it does take feet on the street to have the meetings and, and land some of these bigger corporate accounts. You know, we did a great job from headquarters uh, managing the the online business, direct-to-consumer and direct-to-gym business, direct-to-golf course business. But as we got into, you know, the bigger retailers, those relationships needed to be managed. We needed to make sure um, there's so many things that can go wrong on retail from dented cans or the kiss of death. You could have a couple dented cans sitting on the shelf and affect your volume because nobody's going to buy a dented can. So you literally have to have feet on the street, going into the accounts, developing relationships with the store managers, managing promotional calendars, making sure there's no dented cans, setting up displays, point of sale, all, you know, all kinds of stuff. So we've really, uh, that, that private equity round has allowed us to beef up that sales side of the business and, and really start to scale. Awesome. So what's your, you know, what's your personal goal for the company in the next five to 10 years? Are, are you looking at you know, being acquired at some point? Is that your goal or you're just, man, I'm having a blast. I'm going to do this as long as I can. What are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, we're having a good time. We've got a, a great team assembled. We all really enjoy working together. We, you know, one of our core kind of tenants is work hard, play hard. And, and we definitely practice that on a daily basis. Yeah, I mean, there's people out there that have definitely knocked on the door and, and, and looked at us as an acquisition target. But let's face it, a lot of the big boys, when they buy you, you know, they kind of bastardize the band and strip down the efficacy. And that's not what we're all about. We want to change consumers' expectations and, and hold the big boys accountable for what they're putting out. Because, you know, I've got two kids and, and you know, let's face it, they, they've gotten a free pass, I, in my opinion, for way too long for poisoning our kids with with sugar, water, and garbage ingredients. So I'd prefer to to keep it tight, keep it lean, uh, continue to run a profitable company, and who knows, maybe we'll IPO down the road. Can you talk about some of the common ingredients found in those mainstream brands that are particularly harmful and why people should not be consuming that? Yeah, I mean, well, the most obvious is sugar, right? I mean, sugar's been demonized quite a bit, rightfully so today. And it's not that sugar or or carbohydrates are evil in and of themselves, but the excess that they're consumed, especially in this country, is totally out of control. It's causing chronic inflammation with people, diabetes, and, and, and a lot of other chronic disease as a result of the inflammation. 
you know, next I, I'd look at, you know, jacking your body up on too much caffeine. I, you know, I do enjoy coffee and I'm not anti-caffeine, but it's crazy. I see some people that are drinking four, five, six cups a day or drinking, you know, young kids drinking three uh, energy drinks a day. And it's like, wow, that's a lot of artificial stimulus just to get your body going in the morning. And then, you know, the artificial sweeteners, I think, have been rightly demonized as well lately. So you got less people using sucralose and aspartame and looking for more cleaner, you know, functional beverages that don't have the sugar or the artificials in them. Yeah, you know, I mean, you just look at the sugar-free versions of that, right? Where people are like, oh, there's no sugar, I'm good. But, man, the ingredients in those things are, are just, you know, horrific if you do your research on them. Yeah, especially the dyes, too. Look at, I mean, start doing research on all the different dyes, the blues and the reds. And, I mean, that stuff is toxic. So, you know, I'm all about, you know, eating clean. It is one area that I do not skimp on, you know, grass-fed or organic. It's like food is, you know, food is the primary drug we give our bodies on a daily basis. And we got to really, you know, pay attention to, to what we're putting into our body because as a direct uh, reflect in how we perform, whether we're an athlete or we're an entrepreneur, you know, it's, we're always in performance mode. And, you know, if you're having performance issues or midday fatigue, you got to look at your diet and go, okay, what's going on here with my body? So we've got, obviously, a huge audience of entrepreneurs who are listening to this right now. What's your biggest piece of advice or, or lessons learned over the last seven years as you've, you know, gone from, from nothing to 30 million, I think, what, in net this year? Yeah. Which is just massive. What's... What are those key moments uh, and obstacles that you've overcome that have allowed you to do that successfully? There's been so many. I mean, I mentioned accurate thinking earlier, but I see a lot of entrepreneurs, especially with physical goods that, you know, they're just not thinking accurately about either the timing or the ingredients and the makeup or the, the, the market or the marketing, not put paying enough attention into that. But I think, you know, my biggest lesson over the last seven years I like to go back to a quote from Henry Ford. He says, if everyone is moving uh, forward together, success will take care of itself. And what that means to me is it's an alignment issue. And if you want to scale a business, you have to have alignment. Like me and my business partner have to be perfectly aligned most of the time. And that you know, that took some time. It's almost like a marriage. It took some time to get that alignment and to, and, and to kind of divvy up who's in charge of what aspects of the business, having our team completely aligned on what is our, our goal. You know, we, we, we want to be the next billion dollar beverage brand. We, we've said that since day one, probably way too early. We started saying that. So how do we get there? We, you know, we get there by executing on a weekly basis. So um, I think you've had Vern Harnish on the show. We, we utilize a lot of those Rockefeller habits and gamifying you know, quarterly goals to make sure we're getting our team in each department in complete alignment on what we need to accomplish in this three-month window in order to hit our annual goal, in order to you know, become that next billion-dollar brand. Can you give us an example on how you gamify your, your goals? Yeah, so uh, we have one kind of down week at the beginning of each quarter. It's not really a down week, but it's an opportunity to reflect on the previous quarter, see what we've accomplished as far as our uh, objectives and key results or OKRs, which some of our uh, KPIs are tied in. So each individual at this company every quarter has two or three or four objectives that they are going to accomplish personally that contributes to their team's quarterly goal. And then they have one or two personal goals because we know that, you know, 
life is life. There's no work life and personal life. It's all life. If you have enough fight with your wife at home, it affects work. If work's burning you out, it affects home. So we want to make sure everyone's moving together in unison and that everything's really balanced out. So we're looking at, you know, a few uh, work OKRs and, and, and a couple personal. Those tie into the department. So what the department needs to achieve as an aggregate. And then what we do is we create a forward-looking vision statement. So at the beginning of our team meeting, which is every Tuesday, we someone in the, in the team reads the forward-looking vision statement as if we've already accomplished everything that the, each department has laid out for that quarter. Okay, And then once we achieve at the end of the quarter, and then every department head chimes in every week, we're at 15% completion, we're at 30% completion. We, and, and we always you know, give a hard time to those that are lagging a little bit and, and obviously praise the, those that are ahead of the game. And if we hit 80% achievement or better at the end of the quarter, we do something really fun for the entire team. Like we rented out the Chardonnay sailboat out of Santa Cruz and we had a big booze cruise out on the bay or, uh, you know, we'll, 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 we'll do something that's an activity, get everyone out of the office. that's really fun. Additionally, each individual at this company is bonused at the end of the year a percentage of their salary based on the completion rate of their individual quarters. So we add up the four quarter completion rates and that ties into their bonus. So they're very personally incentivized from a financial perspective and then we're, we're uh, incentivized in, a, in an aggregate sense by some type of a reward at the end of the quarter. Nice. So you mentioned Vern. I was going to ask you, is there a particular person or group that you guys have learned from and pursued when it comes to acquiring your business education? Because there's two different primary skill sets in building a business. There's selling your product and your service, and then there's actually building a company. And mm-hmm. they're very different skill sets. Yeah. And so, you know, have you pursued an education on the business side of things from a specific person or group? Yeah, uh, when we were really struggling and we're running out of money, my one of my mentors, who was actually my mentor in when I was a chiro- chiropractor, who was a brilliant marketer, Ben Altadonna, you know, he reached out to me and he said, "Hey, I'm a member of this marketing group. Uh, there's a lot of smart people in there. I think you get a ton of value. It's not cheap. It's 25 grand. I know you don't have the money. I'll loan you the money. Don't worry about it. Pay me back when you can." And I'm thinking, Ben's successful. He's somebody that I look to. He's he's never led me astray. I said, "Okay." He loaned me the money. I showed up at Genius Network and just started chatting with everybody and absorbing everything that I possibly could from you know, how to run business to scaling to business and marketing and everything. And I started to get a lot of clarity. And then I just started diving into books. I mean, I was going through like a book a week for, for years, just absorbing, absorbing, absorbing content, and then trying to implement as much as possible. So a lot of it was trial and error. A lot of it was having, you know, really great mentors. And then just the, the free information that's available. And what are you going to spend, you know, five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks on a book, free podcasts. I mean, it's all out there. I think, you know, now what I really try to do is manage my information so I don't get total information overload on, okay, what am I trying to achieve this quarter and what information resources are really going to help me get from point A to B? Right. Yeah, absolutely. When it comes to hiring, is that something you guys have just pursued on your own and do internally? Do you use a recruiting firm? How do you all go about that? 
The nice thing is, you know, we, we understood from a very early stage that the value of our business is in our list. And so we've been list building aggressively um, on our email list. We have two, over 200,000 people now. Uh, social media, we're at like 450,000, you know, aggregately with our FitAid Instagram being our biggest at I think 182, something like that. So when we have positions available, we send an email blast out to our list. We do a post on social media. I remember for one sales position we posted, we got a thousand applicants. So what we do is, you know, we run everybody through TopGrader. And if you haven't heard of TopGrader, you should check it out. It's, it's, a, it's a great resource to get rid of the deadbeats and help you kind of screen through who the cream are. And, and from there, we will, uh, you know, identify, say, our top 10 candidates and do 10 phone interviews and then bring five people in for in-person interviews. And usually all five of those people are extremely qualified for what we're looking for from a skills perspective. And from there, we're really just looking at the right cultural fit. Very cool. Very cool. Ian, this has been uh, such a cool story. I really love it when you get to, to start with an entrepreneur at the very beginning. And like I mentioned earlier, especially when you start in a brand new industry that's new to you, because it's one thing if you're just following your natural evolution, but you know, for you guys to jump into such a competitive, high startup cost industry and make it work has just been great. And I think the key to your your success is the fact that you pursued a really, really, really specific customer niche. You know, specifically CrossFit, right? Golfers, one hundred percent. But that's yeah, it. 100%. Yeah, I think you know, folks are like, I just need to make a great quality product with a really cool logo and put it on the shelf and that's it, they're going to fail, right? And a lot of people talk about going deep in a niche. I, I would say the one caveat to that is you have to be part of that niche as well. Like, you know, the reason we were successful in CrossFit is because we CrossFit ourselves. And so when we were going to the shows, there's a certain look that a CrossFitter has. There's a certain dress that a CrossFitter has. You know, when we're successful with Party at Burning Man, it's because I'm a burner. My business partner is a DJ, right? So when you're looking at a, a niche, don't just go, oh, that's an underserved niche. I'm going to go for it. Make sure you're immersing yourself in that niche. Become part of that community because the authenticity shows shines through in the products. That yeah. <laughs> it's not going to work well if you're, if you're selling this beverage and you're 50 pounds overweight, right? Exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. Without a doubt. Agreed. Well, Aaron, this has been awesome, brother. Any, any final words of wisdom or resources that you guys have found uh, recently that you know, have just kind of changed the game for you? From a resource perspective, um, you know, we use a lot of different resources, a lot of reporting. Slack has just been a great tool just for internal communication and to, to get all the back and forth with email out of the way. So if you're not using Slack, it's free to a certain point. Check that out. There's a company here in Santa Cruz. For, if you want to get real sophisticated on your reporting and, and looking at, you know, all types of different metrics called Looker. It's been an incredible resource uh, for giving me my daily dashboards at looking at, you know, every aspect that I want to monitor that I'm in charge of of the business and looking at, you know, how variables are affecting sales and conversions and leads and so forth. So Looker has been a great resource. And then I would just say from a very human perspective, you know, I look at, you know, why have we been successful in our space? Why are we getting traction you know, our products are great. You know, we, we're from those communities. But really, when it comes down to it with all the technology that's available and everything, this is still a relationship game. And business is all about relationships. So treat people well. Treat people how you would want to be treated. You know, as someone told me, the people that you meet on the way up are the same people you meet on the way down. So 
you never know who you're talking to. Just, you know, uh, approach life as such and treat people well. And, I, you know, I think that good karma always comes back around. Yeah, agreed. Agreed, agreed. Well, Aaron, thank you so much. This has been just a, a fantastic story and a lot of valuable lessons learned in there for entrepreneurs who are just getting started. Uh, where can folks go to buy some Life Aid? Well, they could always check out our website, lifeaidbevco.com. Or check us out at your local retailer. I mean, we're in all the Whole Foods, all the Sprouts, H-E-B down in in your neck of the woods in Texas. You know, multiple Safeway divisions, Kroger divisions, Vitamin Shop, GNC, so on and so forth. So check us out if you're looking for a, you know, a clean, healthy alternative. Awesome. Well, Aaron, thank you so much. Guys, gals, thanks for listening as always. And uh, we'll see you next week. Take care.